The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again, and welcome back to Afternoons with Mike, heard daily here on The Shepherd. We look high and low, far and wide to bring you guests that are not only interesting, but I believe are important in what they share and how they live. And I have a third timer up here with us today. Dorothy Logan is a professor, an adjunct professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Orlando, and she's taught elsewhere as well. And uh, political science is her thing. She's one of those majors that took this course and is actively using it. Congratulations on that, Dorothy. Thank you. And welcome back to my program. Thank you for having me. You know, you're, you've are you been one of those. I've, I think about you often. I think it's been, what, at least two years yes. that it was your first visit up here. And in that visit, you made a statement about the state of our country, uh, maybe the place where we were in terms of kind of approaching that line of going uh, over the edge, if you will, of going across the line too far to turn back. You think of whatever cliche you want to think about, about as you approach um, a point of no return as a country. And we'd undergone already the siege of the COVID uh, lockdowns and, and you were up here after all of that. But our country was still reeling two years ago from that. And I'm not sure we're past all of that reeling even right now. But you made a statement back then when when you were here. I've not forgotten. And you said this. And I studied it afterwards. I, I even looked it up to see what the Rubicon was. But you felt like we'd crossed the Rubicon. So I studied that and found out that it's an actual river that was at one point in time in history... It was like the the demarcation point of when the enemy came across that river. It, it things were going to be different. Things were going to be different. You said two years ago, we've crossed the Rubicon, and I, I'm just going to start our discussion off today with this is a softball. I know. Uh, are, are you more sure of that now than you were then? Absolutely. We've only been going in one direction since we've crossed that point of no return. We've only been going in one direction, and I don't think there is a way back. Now, when you say a way back, a way back to what? A way back to the American way of life as we knew, as we have known that's it. That's right. I, I think that's so important for us to understand. And so as we have this discussion, and if you've just now tuned in, Dorothy Logan is my guest. I respect Dorothy. You come under great recommendation from Joe Sharp over there at PBA Orlando. And he, he, you know, was the one that told me about you in the beginning. And I was thrilled to get to know you and to get to hear your viewpoints. Now you've written a book called The Unraveling. The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. And and so I just want to say up front, don't don't turn this dial off right now, even if this seems like this might be depressing, because I'm going to be up front with you. There's a lot going on in our world today, in case you hadn't noticed. It's quite depressing. It's quite concerning. This is not a happy, joyful time, you know, for most believers. And I think there's not a one of us, not just believers, I mean all Americans, really. Uh, there's... There's this thing that we all want to go back to what would be a happier time. You know, I grew up listening to people talk about the American dream and the American dream always seemed idyllic. And you had a husband and a wife and their kids and a white picket fence and, you know, 2.5 car, uh, 2.5 cars in the driveway. I always wondered what that 0.5 car looked like. It was kind of weird. A half of a car. I always wondered about things like that. But you you talk about that, and that is kind of like, I think, and still, especially older Americans, we have that American dream, the love for our country, the desire to go back to the way things were in this country. 
but it doesn't look like we're going back to the way things were. No, it's more of a nostalgia for a culture that has been and has over the past few years, especially, but didn't just start over the past few years, but the past few years have just shown a light on how evident the culture war, we've talked about the culture war for a long time, but we want to go back to a culture that has been, as I say in the, in the book, that fabric of our country has been picked at, scratched at, torn apart on purpose, but also there's a wear and tear of the ages. And we think because we as a country have overcome such challenges and returned to a similar culture in the past that we can do it again this time. And I see it instead as the ubiquitous nature. It's everywhere that the culture has been changed and we have no more shared values. And that reversal of culture is very difficult to implement um, at a at any significant level, which is why I don't think we can go back because every motivation, every drive, every movement is actually moving us in the direction away mm -hmm. from that culture that we reminisce about. Now, when I was a young guy in radio starting off, I've talked about this before, there were programs, public affairs programs that most radio stations ran uh, that would be maybe buried on a Sunday morning or early Sunday afternoon on the weekend, and they would be dealing with the dangers of communism, the dangers of Marxism, uh, really calling out to Americans to be vigilant, to watch over this threat of progressive thought. And those programs, I don't know what year they died, but they died probably because of apathy. And ironically, the name of one of the programs that we carried was The Dangers of Apathy. And I think that program died for the same self-titled reason. We, as we live in luxury, as we live and we see the world continuing to operate as it always has, it's hard to imagine that there's any threat that could take that away. And it's only when big events or monumental epic changing things happen like let's say the pandemic that which was mm -hmm. something that worldwide. was worldwide you know worldwide we look and, and we start re-examining things and so people then start bringing up these words that were kind of scare tactics to to jar people out of their apathy like communism and marxism and they start bringing them up but without really explaining why they're dangerous or why it's such a bad thing or why what we need to be looking out for what we should be concerned about so we have kind of a new renewed interest, at least from some conservatives um, or some faithful people mm -hmm. who see the the, de the decline of Christianity, the decline of the biblical worldview, the decline of faith and values in our in our society, and the moral decay of our, of our culture. But by bringing these terms back without fully explaining what's dangerous and why, after a whole generation or more of ignoring these terms and the concepts altogether has led us to this place. I think we're a, more than a generation. We're several generations into this direction. And I remember being a young guy in elementary school watching Nikita Khrushchev pound the podium at the UN and, uh, you know, threatening and talking about how the big change is going to be made and that it could be made in the next generation as they catch the kids. And so that has been a an aim, if you will, for this progressive left for at least since the time of Dewey, uh, Thomas Dewey, um, back um, in the, what, mid-1800s with the education system, uh, for all the good things that that brought, it brought along with it. Of this uh, the seeds of what we're seeing today, where parents are really almost like troublesome agents in the life of a child, and you know there's a lot of us that are old timers right now, uh, I'm, me being included, that really just still have a hard time getting our brain that this could be happening in the country that we grew up in. That's pretty much a common thing, isn't it? Yes, but it's not uncommon what is happening or your 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 realization of what is happening for example when you look at mao's cultural revolution and getting rid of the four olds right part of it was that old generation that old way old way of doing things that old mindset and you see this new generation coming in and saying 
yeah, mom and dad, of course you don't get it. And this is how they're being taught um, mm-hmm. from kindergarten now. It used to, it started in the universities, but every single person who went through the university training is now training in K-12. Yeah. Now that Mal, the Maoist thought, uh, that that's the second time in the couple of weeks that that's come up on this program. A lot of people aren't familiar with that. They they hear Marxism. What is the difference from your perspective between the two, Marxist and Maoist? Well, Maoism is communism. Marxism is communism. So they're both dialectical materialism. They're both uh, they are both played out in in similar ways. Mao just was successful at it. Um, and he did so by revolutionizing the young people, which is what we're seeing happening in our country today as well. Mm-hmm. And so Marxism was about the proletariat and uh, Maoism was also about reversing wealth distribution, but using the young people to ex- um, completely exterminate their own parents and the, and the entire way of, of doing it. Wow. Yeah, this is not a discussion that maybe you're wanting to have on a nice, quiet uh, morning. If you're listening on a podcast or if you're listening in the afternoon live as this happens, um, it's not the most wonderful, but I still believe it's it's every bit as important, if not more important than just about anything we could talk about. Because what I like about you, Dorothy, is that you're not just one that teaches political thought and breaks it down, what's going on in our country. You are also a believer who happens to believe that God is at very much in control of all that's going on. And and this is not a sad or, or has to be a scary time for believers. We just need to trust the Lord. And, and that's what you're doing, right? Of course. In fact, I even say these are exciting times because you can see things playing out and you can apply your belief to them. You can apply your your faith to what's happening. You can apply freedom principles. I always say I live according to two sets of principles, my faith principles and my freedom principles. And we live in such a time where we can actually engage those ideas and really have thought exercises and conversations that may actually bring people to a realization to help them see the light, see truth, um, really highlight the deception that's going on by staying true to principles and staying true to our belief system. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting to hear you say that. And I think that we need to understand that every every part of what we discuss today, I, I'm wanting this to be seen through the lens of faith, through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of a worldview that is based on God a Judeo-Christian ethic, if you will. And that's not something that our country is doing a lot of these days in the form of government. You know, we're really uh, finding, uh, and if you, all you have to do is listen to the headlines for just a little short while, and you'll find out that these aren't our grandfather's uh, news people uh, anymore. Uh, They're not there anymore. And it, it's really scary and sad. So I, I'm, I wanted everyone to understand that you are a believer who believes that, as crazy as it seems to our minds, that these can be exciting times for the life of a Christian. And that we need to take the challenge to live our lives out because uh, this is not a time to stick our head in the sand. This is not a time to look at our children. I would go so far as to say this is not a time to stop having kids Parents out there, we need kids that are going to believe in God and represent him to a world that is more in need of him than we can think or imagine. And I think that's one section in my book. I talk about the devaluing of human life. And we see that not just in the abortion debate or in but in the increase in suicide rates, how how people are able to attack without cause or without thought, but also to murder without even what, what seems to be irrational or senseless death. Yeah, with we, no, uh, no, no remorse. With no remorse. That is what I was looking yeah. for. No remorse. And so we see this playing out, but it, we all in this violent side of things, but also in the next generation, not wanting to have children, not wanting to, uh, or having children much later and depriving their own parents 
of the time with their with their own children with their grandchildren yeah. and so they're not passing along those values in the same way as as we used to so yes this is the time to have more children this is the time to love those children it's a time to value life and i think as a society we no longer value life and part of bringing or turning back to the culture of the values that we want is first and foremost valuing life again We've got a couple minutes before we're going to have to take our first break. And so what I'd like to do in the balance of segment one here is to have you address, let's talk about this thing that was mentioned earlier. Uh, Why can't we go back to the way we were? What What is the main inhibitor to that? The main inhibitor is the fact that we have intentionally destroyed the fabric upon which this country was built. That culture, that American way of life is gone. In my book, I talk about the two pillars upon which a civilization stands, which is in in the book, I say uh, language and values, shared values, which is also could be faith or religion. Most civilizations stand on those two pillars now the cracks a common language is that a what common you, language okay, yes uh-huh. a common language and and i would even go so far as a common understanding of that language because what we see is not we're not talking about the spanish speakers coming in from this the southern border as a main threat to our language we're talking about changing definitions and not being able to agree upon what these definitions of words boy that is happening today isn't it right so and then the other side is this this idea of shared values and those two pillars the cracks in the foundations of those pillars you take out one of the pillars and the entire civilization falls and we have cracks and destruction of both of these pillars which has taken place over quite a bit of time but now we're at a place where we the pillars are crumbled there's no civilization left upon there's no foundation upon which left that's left to build that now, civilization. We've been known for years. I mean, we've got the Statue of Liberty. We have songs like Lee Greenwood that have been sung at patriotic rallies, July 4th, uh, where at least I know I'm free. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Of course, free there, freedom is the liberty that this country, the, the Liberty Bell, I mean, we all of our history, uh, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that the very country that put forth those iconic emblems and we've sung about them, we've read about them, we've quoted poems about them. It's hard to it's hard to get our brain around the fact that we're not we're not that country anymore. We are not. Freedom was our last shared value as a, as a society, as the American society. Freedom was our last shared value when you then here on the news, well, freedom might be the problem during the pandemic. Freedom's the problem. Your freedom is not more important than my health. Your freedom is not more important than my safety. Your freedom is not more important than the economy, whatever. It used to be a shared value. It is no longer a shared value. Mm-hmm. And part of this destruction of our way of life, of our American culture, of the fabric of our country is because we have for too long mistaken the tares for wheat. Ooh, now that's a real clear Bible example right there, a a great metaphor. And upon that one, we're going to take a break. Dorothy is with us today, Dorothy Logan. She is a professor at PBA Orlando and quite a thinker, I might add, and the author of a book called The Unraveling. We'll talk about that book coming up in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. 
Dorothy Logan is my guest today. Dorothy is a professor. She has been a teacher of history and political science, uh, studied this with great passion, follows it, I believe, rigorously, and has brought it to us now in the form of a new book. And in talking with Dorothy before we began this interview, you mentioned that it kind of was finished this past January, and you're more convinced now than you were in January of uh, of the direction that you're, you've stated things. The condition of the world is actually gone farther in that troublesome direction. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. We not only have we seen the pro- the progressives progress in a certain direction, it's been away from the foundations of this country. We think about what is this country made of? The part one, a republic, if you can keep it, chapter one of my book, we were supposed to be a republic, but we hear in our media and from our politicians, we need to defend democracy. This is a threat to democracy. What about democracy? You're undermining democracy. And I think we as a as a people have come to understand or truly believe and perceive this country as a democracy. And that has real life implications. It does. And it's not just Democrats who do that. No. The Republicans say the same thing. And I'm, I hear these reports and I'm thinking, you know, I had a, I believe I had by God's grace, a good education and I was public school educated, but we talked about these things and there was a huge, uh, I guess, emphasis put in my background, in my study, even in elementary school on the distinctives of a republic. And a constitutional federal republic yeah. at, at that. And because democracy, the, the founders were trying to avoid democracy at all costs. They called it the tyranny of the majority. And it is because if you if it's a 50 percent plus one, that is what that is what democracy uh, means. Right. 50 percent right. plus one make the decisions that becomes a permanent majority. And then they can trample and oppress the political minority forever. Mm-hmm. So it, we were made to be. Uh, I may say made, we were formed as our country, as a constitutional republic. And you, the quote that was the the namesake, if you will, of your chapter one was from Benjamin Franklin, who was asked, "What what's happened here? And he said, what, what, do we, what do we have now? What kind of government are you talking about? And he goes, well, it's a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. And yeah. so he knew. He knew, and, and it's written in our Constitution. It's written in there, the, the presumption that it is going to be difficult to keep it. The Constitution was supposed to safeguard our republic as much as possible. But what we forget, as we 200 some odd years later, is that our government is made up of flawed, corrupt people, just like the, the American people are. And this artificial conscience is what I call it in the book, It was supposed to slow us down, to deliberate, to make sure we're making the best decisions, to resist the our imminent poll, as Plato Mm -hmm. would say, our our desires and passions and to really think about what we truly want. And as we move into somewhat of a post-constitutional society, because that constitution is not constraining our our governing officials anymore. Well, neither do any of the laws that are passed on the books, right? True. Yeah. So it's not, it's never was the Bible. I think it's important with all due respect to our constitution. It was never ordained or inspired by God the way the Bible is. So we got to get that in mind. And, you know, there's this thing I've, I hear it from a lot of young people, especially there's this thing that a lot of believers have had almost uh, their, their faith in God based upon a nationalistic understanding of America, the role of America, almost as being so blessed by God, the purpose for America was so, that it was almost sewn in into the understanding of the word of God itself. And that was never the case. We've never been that good. We've never been that righteous. We've never been that holy. Uh, We've got to get that and see it. That's not, I'm trying to be respectful here, but I'm just saying the, the constitution is not a, the Bible. No, just like a church isn't the building, our our the constitution is not the Bible. The govern our government is not our country. Our country is the people. And this this government, the constitution, only works for a religious and moral people. It doesn't make us religious or moral. It's not our it's not what we base our entire 
behavior and value system upon, but it defines it. It, it defines using natural law, using nature's God, and using based on truths that are mm-hmm. supposed to be self-evident. Um, and that's why I also talk in my book about the obvious, right? These self-evident truths are supposed to be obvious, but all everything obvious is now being turned obscene. And so the people of America are no longer the religious and moral people required to uphold the Republic and, and our way of life. And and I think that that's so important. I, I just had a horrible thought after I made that last statement that if someone took that statement out of the context, they could make it sound like I was really belittling our constitution. Just the opposite. I am grateful. I am thankful. I, I think it was a brilliant thing. Uh, we were handed an opportunity as a nation by our founders to live a life with God at the center of our heart, at his being, his word being our conscience, and that constitution, which has often been described by a lot of people as the great American experiment, uh, was, was the gift that we've grown up with and obviously took greatly for granted. And, and so I want to make sure that everyone that's hearing this program today knows that I am grateful and will always be thankful that I was born in this country, born under the Constitution. But I just want to be real to say that there has to be an understandable difference in what we perceive in the Constitution versus what we read about in the Word of God. And the Word of God was really the fountain from which these ideas our founders brought out. It was the word of God. Absolutely. Meaning that while the constitution defines our values for government, right? And becomes our conscience. Consciences fail bad people all the time. Mm -hmm. They fail good people all the time. So meaning we go against what what our conscience dictates. So oftentimes when we don't want to conflate the two, however, it's put in place so we have something. We are blessed to live in a country that recognizes, at least on paper, our rights and our God and what natural law dictates. We are blessed because other countries, they don't have governments that recognize that. And we have something, I don't believe our government recognizes it any longer, but we do have these documents. We do have an understanding that we can point to and say, this is what they were thinking. This is what they believed. And this is why we can, we have the freedom of speech. This is mm-hmm. why we have the rights that we do. This is why human rights are, are important. Because if you take away the reason why human rights are important, you don't need to offer rights to anybody. Right. Now, you know, you've said something and what this is becoming clear, even as we talk on this, if you remove God from the government altogether, if you remove the, let's say the, the high standard of the word of God in even in defining what is good, what is right, what is just, if you remove God from all of those measures and meets uh, of measuring then it's easy to understand why you can come up with just about anything and say that that's good. This is my truth. And that's what's happening in the world today. You have personal truth. You have moral relativism. But more importantly, this goes all the way back to democracy. What is right? What is true? What is just? Whatever the majority says it is. And that could change on a daily basis. And you never know what, where that value system lies. And when we look at the polarization in our country today, you, you alluded to this idea of Christian nationalism, right? We, we see these two competing sides that want to impose their morality on the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. And that's why they are so desperate and they're so anxious. And so they're clawing to have their side win. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get their side win because it, it truly is they need to be right they need their moral system to to win out so that they can be in the right. And then they have the power then to impose their morality on everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so when you get away from a religious and moral people, when you take God and every universal standard or absolute truth out of the equation, you are truly left with something very, very scary because you have flawed people who want to justify their sin, what what is evil is now good. And that we were warned about that too. And you brought up the word that I was just getting ready to jump on, evil. 
there's a lot of people that look at what's going on, what, what we're being asked to believe, the whole thing of transgenderism, which suddenly it seems like this has come up overnight, uh, but it's been building for quite a while. But in terms of the consciousness of most Americans, it feels like just in the last two years, they've had to not only understand what is being talked about, but now they're being asked to accept it full and completely. And, you know, what's going on? We've, we've mentioned some of the companies in, a, in the country, like Anheuser-Busch, for example, who are, they're still taking a bath because of their decision to kind of uh, jump in the woke world, if you will. And we've, we've uh, just heard about now, Sports Illustrated is doing the same thing. Uh, it's one thing for businesses to suffer because of this. It's an entirely different thing for the United States government to be purporting this as the way everyone's going to live in the country. It is very disturbing that we have taken standards and definitions and shifted them and changed them. But this progress, as long as we're going in a direction, what direction is that going? This this idea of progressivism, if we can no longer define, let's say, what is a woman? Like if you can't answer that, that basic question or we but I'm going to go back to this idea of we no longer value human life because part of these part of what we've always said is you were created to be this amazing, unique individual. And you, as this person you were created to be, has value, intrinsic value. And that's actually very mm-hmm. underlies a lot of what I of our country's documents. We have intrinsic value because we are born and created with it. Endowed by our creator. Exactly. And so we've taken that and said, God got it wrong. I have no value unless you say I have value. And I need you to accept me not as who I was created to be, but as, as whom I think God got it wrong when he created me. And then if you don't, accept me if you don't celebrate what i hate about myself then you can't love me it's like this total turn on the head of of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to engage and how we're supposed to have empathy they hate themselves so much that they need to change who they are they hate god so much they have to declare he was wrong and how they created him and i'm going to go the other direction the other gender direction or come up with something brand new and that's yeah. happening, is it? I mean, it, it's sad. I know we're laughing about it, but it, it's it's really sad to realize that these people are investing in that. Yes, and for me, it breaks my heart because we are being asked to to engage and you say accept wholeheartedly. We're actually told to celebrate something. That's right. It's even worse. It's, we yeah. we went from tolerance to celebration. Um, and if we fail to celebrate, then we aren't loving them. When real true love would say, I accept you for who you are, how you were created, who you were meant to be, the gifts and talents and abilities that were endowed just within your creation. And no matter how you view yourself, I see you mm-hmm. as a valuable human being worthy of love and acceptance for who you were created to be. And all of this is being supported, ratified, further put out for display by the American news media, by our movies, by TV shows. You watch even a commercial and you're going to see what used to be aberrant lifestyle behaviors put on there as if they were normal and cuddly and wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, and I don't really know what to do with that. That could take us down a whole nother road of where this world is going because some of this seems as it's such a small percentage of the population. People always say it's such a small percentage of the population. Well, then why is it being, yeah. why is it everywhere? It's then? 50% of everything we see. <laughs> right. And so then there's this whole idea that someone is ignore. a lot of people are ignoring, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of ESG scores, right? And it doesn't matter if um, Anheuser-Busch lo- loses money or Sports Illustrated loses money or Fox loses money. It It's more important that they maintain those yeah. ESG scores. For what reason? And, and in case you don't know what that is, that's environment, societal, uh, and governance, right? 
Is, yeah. is the S society? Social. Social, yeah. Environmental, social, and governance. Not It's not like part of a food. <laughs> <laughs> That's MSG, right? Right. <laughs> right. So we've got to get this down. That the, the world is going and judging itself by these now new standards that have nothing to do with good as defined by the Bible. Nothing to do with right or pure as defined by God. And so, and not only defined by God, but actually then kind of put forward in our constitution. So we've got a crisis that's going on. It's not just a constitutional crisis. It's a human crisis that's happening right now, right? Absolutely. And as I try, as I wrote the book, I was pretty much in a, there's no going back mode, right? And I've said that there is no going back. So what hope is there for the future? If we're in this crisis, what do we do about it? Everyone wants an action point. And I'm not sure if this is a good place to... Then we're going to be taking another break in a moment, but let's aim there and then we'll finish up in the last segment. And I actually believe that the answer to our societal problems, our social crisis is authentic relationships. I agree. And that's something that the church is to be all about. I mean, you know, the, the Bible talks about, I had Jim Subers up yesterday, and we were talking about uh, the, the one of the things that should be earmarks in every believer is that they will know us by our love, our love. That should be the thing that people are sure about you, is that you're one who loves, loves God, loves other people. Yes, and unfortunately, Christians are now being framed by society at large as imbued inherently with hate, Racist. not yeah. love. That's right. Well, if you if you don't buy along with uh, the the terms that are given to you, you're quickly branded. And uh, you know there may not be a racist bone in your body, but if you don't if you don't accept the company's score and uh, take it and be happy with it, then you're deemed that. I had a friend, a Facebook friend, who posted something and said, if you agree with any of this, you cannot, you cannot love me. And I thought about that for a minute. And I said, I think what you're saying is, I haven't read the document, but I think what you're saying is, if I agree with anything on there and tell you I agree with it, you can't love me. Because we, we've so shifted our ideas of, you have to agree with me or else you hate me. We where, where does mm. reasonable dialogue go from there? What happened to our country, friends? That's what we're talking about. Dorothy Logan is here. We're going to go more into her book and the hope that we have as believers in a crazy mixed up world. That's what we're going to be talking about in a moment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. My guest today is Dorothy Logan. Dorothy is a professor of political science, and that's something that I've heard about for years. I, I never talked to too many students that actually used in their profession what they ended up doing like Dorothy has. I admire that about her, and she stayed true to her convictions and really works hard at not only learning herself, but helping others along the way. And that's what a good professor does. You, you really work to help other people understand what needs to be uh, captured in our minds and in, in our hearts. This book you wrote called The Ravel the Unraveling, it is available uh, at where most books are sold? Everywhere books are sold. At Amazon, you can go there, Books a Million, etc. Yes. And get a copy of this, The Unraveling. Give us that subtitle. The American Fabric Undone. Uh, the American Fabric Undone. And you have that that illustration about what happens to fabric when it's being picked out and constantly grabbed and, and maybe with a, I, you know, I, we heard about a, uh, my daughter's cat kind of doing a number on her new chair. I mean, when you take a claw and you start picking that fabric, uh, something's going to give, and it's usually not the claw. 
It's usually the fabric. <laughs> no. And each thread, you know, can be pulled individually yeah. or can be worried away or worn down intentionally. Yeah. Just even by overwear. Yes. So we talked on segment one before we get to hope, and that's going to be what we spend most of this time on. I'm convinced, and I want your thought on this. I'm convinced that if, if we just follow the laws that are already on the American books regarding immigration, regarding the border, we wouldn't be having this problem. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. But what has happened is we are no longer a country of laws. We, are no, we no longer use the law to arbitrate between rights and uh, rights in conflict or crimes that are committed. We no longer use the law to define the boundaries of what uh, is acceptable and hmm. where our freedoms stop. So that's why these executive orders that are not based on any legislation at all are, are given out there. And they're really nothing more than just edicts, right? They are edicts, kind of like that word mandate. You had governors and mayors giving mandates and they're saying, well, it's not a law. It has the force of law, but a mandate is essentially did not go through the legislative process. It is a dictate. It is this is coming from one person, one entity saying this is how we're going to do things now. The laws be damned, in other words. Yeah. And, and then just like in other countries where there is either a dictator or uh, maybe another form of just radical, some people would use the phrase banana republic. I don't know why they use the word, a good word like republic in that scenario, but they, they'll they use that and you could go to prison for the rest of your life, not for breaking a law, but for breaking a, a mandate. Exactly. And why they use the word republic, you can look at the the Republic of China. They call themselves a republic. Wherever you see the word republic, oftentimes it is used to mock the entire concept, meaning we're not a republic at all, but we want to be perceived as one. And I see oh. a lot of people, a lot of Americans today looking at what's happening in our country and calling us a banana republic. It's, it, we're, it's a mockery. Yes, we, we're a republic. People even make that argument. We're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. I said, well, maybe on paper, that's what we're supposed to be. But it's when we no longer abide by laws, when we're no longer the we're no longer ruled by laws and and when there's no longer equality under the law not just for perpetrators of crime but there's a different class of justice for government government officials for hollywood elites for financial elites versus the rest of us mm. all right we got to turn our attention now to hope what do you do what should we do what should our, our listeners be thinking about as a way to deal in their own hearts, in their own minds, maybe with their grandchildren or children. What can we do uh, to remind ourselves that God is still on the throne? Well, I love the picture on the cover of my book. It's it's a rope. It's vertical on the on the cover of the book, and then it's cut. It's cut. And what I find the solution to all this doom and gloom kind of narrative that we have out there in the ethosphere is authentic relationships, meaning we need to make connections. We need to have empathy. We need to have curiosity. We need to forge relationships in our, in our families that because that is being destroyed. We need to forge relationships in our communities because that is being destroyed by isolation and everything else that's happened over the past few years. We need to forge relationships through the church, but through other as many autonomous, independent organizations as we can, because then the influence of those who are outside the law, our governing officials, becomes less and less on our everyday lives. So authentic relationships is where I go with with the message of the action step. Mm -hmm. And I try to write the book so anyone can read it, but I do have a note at the end, a note for Christians at the end, where the hope really is Jesus. It seems like such a trite answer, you know, a Sunday school answer. Oh, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is Jesus because he's a perfect rep representation of authentic relationship. He came through time and space and he met us where we are. He Emmanuel. understands us. Yes, yeah. Emmanuel, God is with us and he met us and he understands our humanity, but yet he remained divine. And because he did that, we can have a personal relationship, authentic relationship with him. Too many Christians or people who call themselves Christians ignore that part of the relationship and thus the cut in that vertical rope that cut in that relationship is part of the decay of the fabric of our country as well and so 
when we as Christians in try to engage political ideas, we try to engage the opposition, we try to engage those who we think, how can you be so blind? First of all, John 8, in John 8, it's like, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Mm-hmm. And there's just some people who will not believe you because you're telling the truth. But if you can engage these people, when you engage them at um, where they're coming in angry and desperate, if you're full of love and compassion and curiosity and really wanting that relationship with them to work, it can change the entire dynamic of the conversation, which I then tell Christians, you we have to measure our actions and words against the fruit of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness yeah. and self-control. That's another one. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and then I even say in there, because remember, against such, there is no law. There's there's nothing that can can confine us from these fruits of the, the fruit of the spirit, because if the spirit lives in us, then this should be evident in, in our words and actions. And I think that even in this day and age where I say there's no real hope of going back, we're to encourage each other. We're to ho- hold each other up. We're to support one another in in love and truth and in mercy and compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think of an illustration that happened to me one time when the S, uh, what is it, the Blackbird, the the high-flying reconnaissance airplane that was retired. And I was talking to a military guy one time, and I said, I just don't understand why they would retire such a a very effective and cool-looking airplane. And he looked at me, he goes, oh, but it's because they've got something better. And I think we need to look at what's happening right now in, in that same light, we are promised, we're told throughout the Bible that we are aliens in this land. We're just citizens of another country moving through our life right now. And I think what happens is America to a lot of people was like what Haran was to Abraham and his dad. They got to Haran and the dad wanted to stop. You know, Abraham's father said, well, this is pretty cool. Let's just hang around here for a while. It wasn't to where they were called by God. And that's the case with us. We cannot become so enamored with our life here that we forget God's got something better. Much better. Much better. We have to also remember that people who don't have that hope, that their desperation is real. They are fighting for an identity. They truly are fighting for their right to exist. They really believe that because down deep in their soul, they don't. That is their identity and their fight. And we can rest in confidence knowing that our identity is in Christ right. and that we are children of the King and that we have an entire kingdom waiting for us, that this is just a stop on the road. Mm-hmm. Now, how do your students, how do they uh, take this? Cause you're a passionate person. What's that like? What do you see their faces do when you tell them when you teach like this? Well, first, after the first class, they move out of the front row. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> no, I think. Let's go to the back. <laughs> I've actually gotten notes, which are uh, so precious to me. Is like, thank you for your passion. It gives me confidence to speak up about my faith. Thank you for being so outspoken about what you believe because it encourages me to do the same. And I get those notes because people are afraid in this environment that we have where Christians are turned against, where the church is not only persecuted, which people say persecution of the American church is nothing compared to persecution in in China, for example, Mm -hmm. but where we are belittled and always wrong. And we're told that we can't be discriminated against because we're the majority. It's not true. We see this decline in a biblical worldview. We see this decline. So most students are encouraged that someone in an academic classroom is willing to speak the truth. And I do that because, and I've said this on your show before, I believe little T truth points to big T truth 100% of the time. And so for them to have the courage to be able to say, yes, this is truth. There is a standard by which to measure. And I see someone else who's not afraid to take that stand in an academic classroom, even though it's a Christian 
university, I see someone willing to take that stand in front of all these people who might not agree with her. It gives me courage to do the same thing. And I think what you talked about earlier about the whole role of relationship and genuine relationships based on the word of God, based on and out of the church. I mean, we need to have that. And that can be a real life changer. It may not and probably won't change the direction of our government, but it will change the direction of your life. Absolutely. And I I want to throw out here, which is completely unexpected. I believe in prayer. We, we, we bring up that Second Chronicles passage all the time. If my people who are called by my 714. name yes, shall humble mm-hmm. themselves and pray. And I don't want to belittle that at all. I do believe that I believe in the power of prayer. However, I'm not sure that if we're connecting to our God by ourselves in our personal relationship, that has to come. That has to come first. And I think as we see prayer work and and God move in our personal lives is through those personal relationships and personal movement that God is working in us and through us that we're going to be able to change at least our small sphere mm-hmm. of influence. And I pray, I constantly call out to God for revival and asking God that this sense of prayer would become like uh, a wildfire, if you will, that just passes from one person to the next, that we could see that. But we know that the direction, the general slide that our country's been in has not been something that's encouraging. And we need to we need to buckle down and realize, okay, this might be a haul for the rest of our lives. It may be for the rest of our, our kids' lives. It might affect our grandkids' lives. Whatever it is, though, God is still God. And that's what I love about what you're saying is that we can be true to the Lord. We can be true to his purposes for our lives in the middle of a culture that is going to the left. And in fact, isn't that where we want to be? That's exactly where we are called to be and to represent him. And, uh, you know, that sometimes, uh, you know, we've talked about this. My wife and I talked about this before we got married. It was some of the pre suppositions of our marriage that we were not going to be those that would ever turn away turn away from God even in the midst of persecution and uh, I mean one of the conversations we had included like death persecution that we were not going to renounce the name of Jesus I don't believe anyone should be afraid of of persecution torture death for the cause of Christ. In fact, I find it kind of exciting. If that were to happen, we would know that we're in the right place. We're doing the right thing. And we are in the will of God. And we're demonstrating how important and how magnificent a God we serve by being willing and able to go through whatever is thrown at us. We have to have you back up again for number four, Dorothy Logan, my guest today. Thank you, Dorothy, for being with us today. And your book again is called The Unraveling. The American Fabric Undone. And that's available at Amazon. Be sure and get it. Dorothy Logan is her name. And uh, it's a great book. I'm reading it right now and really enjoying it. And friends, join us again next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.